This is The Soul's Intent with author, psychologist, and spiritual teacher, Ernie Vecchio. The Soul's Intent is a show that boldly claims that it can help reveal where you are on the spiritual path. Learn how there is a physical place of love, truth, and freedom. Listen, and in an instant, learn that moving to such a place is actually a choice. This is The Soul's Intent, and now here's your host, Ernie Vecchio. The way I'm defining psychospiritual is utilizing psychological theory and human development to identify and heal the ego's division. What's unique about that is also giving station simultaneously to the uh, soul, spirit, and heart uh, for any kind of navigation through that process. And so what I am calling psychospiritual is take is kind of integrating the psychology of the human experience and including the soul, spirit, and heart as compass to navigate. That sounds like it's a simple uh, way to define it, but it's not what we're being taught. And it's not typically what's happening in the spiritual community. So, uh, so merging, you know, we talk about mind, body, spirit a lot in this culture. And uh, we know what mind is. We know what body is. But what is spirit, you see? Mm-hmm. And for a lot of people, it's different things. Uh, and, and so I'm defining uh, the human spirit is uh, the physical memory, if you will, of the soul's birth. So the human spirit is, uh, is really a feeling reaction to being cut away from the mother or the creator, uh, but, but holding on to a pre-thought memory, what, what, what I would call a pre-cognitive memory uh, of a skin-to-skin connection with the creator, but also before ego. And that's significant. So when we talk about psycho-spiritual, which comes first, you see, Irma, is, is the problem here. It's the chicken and the egg question we've talked about before. Well, the spiritual comes first and the psychology of who we are comes second. Mm-hmm. Well, what, and so and of course, the spiritual component of this is the human soul. And uh, so thus the term psychospiritual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. So it's ego and soul. So it's a conversation about the ego and the soul and how they interact, how they relate. In fact, what that relationship consists of. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And that's such a, a wonderful way to um, um, describe psycho-spiritual. And um, I don't often hear um, psychology and spiritual talked about together. And, and you know, I wonder, well, how can that be? Because, um, yeah. Well, it's, you know, it, it's, it's, it's talked about in transpersonal psychology, which is, which is really the study of, uh, of the human condition beyond ego. So it transcends ego. But unfortunately, unless you're a psychologist uh, or, a, or a helping professional, you're not going to be familiar with the language and you're not going to see the integration. Uh, so what I'm trying to do is simplify that and say that, that, you know, that the soul is this animating force that, you know, that, that uh, is your life force and it's never off, never gone, never away and constantly guiding you to see what it is that you need to see. Uh, that invisible something else 
uh, is what I came in contact with in working with uh, severe trauma. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, so that's a significant piece. But um, for a lot of people, when they think spiritual, they don't they don't consider the soul in that in that context. The terminology of psychospiritual isn't uniquely mine, or the, or the term is not uniquely mine, but I think what I am doing in the definition of it is it relates to this internal GPS is, is unique because I'm, I'm, I'm singling out very specifically what these organs of perception are, the, the, the heart, the ego, and the human spirit, and how they interrelate. Uh, and unfortunately, in most cases, and with a lot of folks, they're in opposition to one another. And, uh, you know, like I've said in many broadcasts before, that if you ask a lot of people to point on the body for the human compass, a lot of people point to the head. Mm -hmm. and, and, and for those who point to their heart, uh, they may know what the compass is, but they don't use it as often as they should, or they don't trust it as often as they should. And so this is part of the part of the issue. In fact, a lot of people think their compass is broken. And of course, I tell them that the needle's just stuck. All they need to do is just tap on the glass <laughs> to get the needle unstuck. Yeah. And it's not like we can um, bypass the psychology of, of who we are. So um, it's a matter of integrating um, everything. So it's, it's working together, soul, spirit, heart, and ego. Well, we, we, we can bypass it. That's how we got where we are. <laughs> uh, and by saying that we can bypass it, I mean that many of us are trying to work around it uh, as if it is possible to do that. And what I am saying is it is it's it's possible to delude oneself to bypass the human ego, but it's not the truth. The truth is that uh, the human ego is um, is a hard fixed uh, structure that uh, has got bumps and bruises from the experience that is your life. And you have to, in some, in some way, repair that. And if you're not fixing the division that I'm saying is happening by guilt or shame or both, mm -hmm. uh, then all you're doing is kind of sidestepping that. So, so I'm agreeing with you that, that uh, you can't bypass it, but this is what we've done. I mean, this is where sadly mental health is. This is sadly where the culture is uh, trying to get around uh, this external problem with the human ego. Mm -hmm. yeah. So when you talk about um, healing the psycho-spiritual wounds, um, how it's, it's not psycho-spiritual wounds, it's um, psychological wounds and spiritual wounds? Yeah, yeah. I make the distinction between the two. A psychological wound happens second. A spiritual wound happens first. And by that, I mean that when we get cut away from uh, that world, that universe that is eternal, uh, of which is part of our own creation, the time in the womb, the 16 to 18 months out of the womb, where we are now uh, here on this earth, but we're not, we don't speak the language just yet. All that pre-thought, pre-cognitive period, we, we have a memory of, uh, of this eternal synchronized kind of connected place that we came from. Uh, we don't have context for it, but we have a physical memory of it. And it's predominantly in the body, of course. And so 
So I'm calling the cutting of, of the umbilical cord essentially the faded break that we all come into this experience and have to get cut away from the creator. What sets us apart as human being is the volatility of the of, of that faded break. So in other words, um, what comes after the faded break then be, is the division. And that's when the volatility and the harshness of life sets in and, and we experience that uh, as soon as we arrive, depending upon our environment. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and, you know, and for some people it's less harsh than others, but the point is that harshness is there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So you're, you're talking about um, ego division. How, how do you really, how do you define that? Well, it, it's really the, um, the adaptive kind of aspects of the self um, is layered. You know, a lot of people think of ego as being like a balloon. I've said this before, where that if you're, if it's deflated and small, that is that you are inferior or inadequate, or if or if it's blown up, then you're grandiose, narcissistic. But but the ego is more like an onion, where the core of who you are comes into this experience like a, almost like a clean slate. And then one defense mechanism after another, one set of beliefs, one set of experiences after another, the layered onion is created. And, uh, and that's, that's where the division begins to happen, that you're getting divided from the core self. You're getting divided from that clean slate that you came into the world as. Uh, and, and, and begin to believe that the layers, that those defense mechanisms and those ego traits and identities are who you are. And so I said at the beginning of the show that psychic angst is what the ego thinks versus what the soul knows in, re in regards to who you are and what you are. And, and, what you are. and so the division uh, is, is a combination of those layers. And then, then there's also uh, the impact of guilt and shame on those layers uh, where guilt uh, is more of a wound to a couple very specific layers. Shame tends to be a wound to the core of who you are. It's a much deeper wound. It cuts through all the layers of all the kinds of woundings you can get. Shame is, is probably more, more penetrating because remember when the ego is being formed, it's like a piece of clay initially. It's not hard and fixed in the beginning. And uh, it doesn't become hard and fixed until you hit like middle school age. Uh, and then and then by the time you hit, you know, 13, 14, 15, 16, it's kind of crystallized. And now some experts say that the personality is still forming even as long as the age of 30, mm -hmm. uh, because the brain isn't fully developed until 30. So there's a lot of theories about that. But again, this is part of the problem that we need to keep some of these ideas um, in context so that they're not so complicated or, or, so, or so confusing to folks. I don't know if that answered your question about the divided self, but um, uh, why some people are spiritual and some may not be. And we tend to have a, a memory uh, uh, of, that, of that connection to the source, if you will, uh, more so than what I would consider a non-spiritual person. So the benefit of that connection is that ends up being the motivation uh, for them to heal the division inside themselves. Uh, if you don't have that connection, then you don't have the motivation. Mm -hmm. So, and so the psychology of who you are dominates, you see. Uh, it's almost like uh, faith. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I define I define faith as hope that has been rewarded. Uh, people that have a connection to something larger than themselves tend to have had hopeful experiences that have been rewarded. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. People that uh, that don't have that experience have limited faith. You see, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, so, so this is the importance, at least from my perspective, uh, for us to have some precision in the language that we use and some consistency in the context that we use to describe the human experience. And, uh, and that's what this work ends up providing people is, is consistent terminology, consistent language that then overlays most of the spiritual teachings on the planet and certainly integrates with most of the religions. And it also integrates, of course, with psychological and counseling theory. So it's all interrelated at some level. The only place that this, this is in conflict would be with fundamental people, people that have a very rigid black and white approach to life. And they're very, and they're very hard and fixed in their idea of how this is supposed to be this experience that we are in. Yeah. There's something you just said that that really stood out to me uh, about spiritual people and remembering that connection. And in that remembering of that connection um, is the motivation that Mm -hmm. kind of, yeah, I I think that's really important to acknowledge um, uh, that people understand that piece of it, that um, because a lot of times I think this idea of being spiritual, there's this uh, image of like a yogi sitting on a, a mountaintop or something, you know, uh, in this very peaceful kind of um, place. So I think that um, uh, acknowledging that um, being spiritual, part of being spiritual is being motivated to kind of find what's true and false. Yeah, feel, yeah spiritual people are feeling people mm-hmm. and they have a close relationship to those, to those feelings typically. And they also um, aren't afraid to ask the big questions, which is why are things the way they are? Mm-hmm. Um, and, they, and they do a lot of, uh, a lot of self-inquiry or they do a lot of uh, questioning in the outside world in general. It, it, it's occurring to me as we're talking about this, as I'm going through the memory of my of my experience in the hospital with trauma patients, is is that um, those people who had that connection to something larger than themselves did not feel like they were being punished by God. Mm. Those people who lacked that connection did. Mm. I don't have the statistics on that, but it was a higher percentage of uh, feeling like they were living the wrong kind of life. But there was a you know a lot of people felt that way. And then, you know, laying in their hospital beds or sitting in their wheelchairs or whatever, they felt that they had lived the wrong kind of life and they somehow were being punished. The people that were spiritually inclined didn't have that. They wondered why they were angry at life and angry at the predicament that they were in and even angry at God. But they weren't sitting there thinking they were being punished for living the wrong kind of life. Mm It's a subtle difference, but it's a big difference from a psychological standpoint, particularly in the recovery phase of any trauma. You know, because if you if you look at what we say in the culture about adversity, we say adversity builds character. We don't realize that it tears it down first. Well, there's nothing that tears down a character any more than disability or, or some or some kind of unexpected trauma. Because remember what character is, is that onion, all those layers of the human ego represents the all the characters that we are 
and trauma cuts through all of those characters. Um, and, and so it's, uh, it's a profound thing to watch and it's a profound thing to be a part of mm-hmm. when, when you're working with somebody that's going through that. And, and when you look at your own life, my circumstances, your circumstances, people that we know and that we love and care about, when they have undergone any kind of external event uh, that's traumatized them in some way, you get a deeper appreciation of what they're actually going through, mm-hmm. which, is, which is an opportunity to reinvent themselves in that collapse. And uh, because that's what because that's what collapses or old ways of looking at myself, old old identifications is an opportunity to grow. And uh, and so I think spiritual people tend to do that. And, and, and by that, I mean, feeling people and f- people that feel that there's something larger at work. There's a larger truth than just their, you know, their day to day mundane lives. They think there's more to life than that. And they're and they're somehow kind of seeking that some passive, some, some not passive and how they go after that information. But it's, uh, it, it's one of those things that, um, that we all eventually get to developmentally without any disability between the ages of 35 to 45. That's when those big questions start coming up. Uh, and, and so it's after that period that if you haven't gotten some answers to some of those questions, then you're still kind of groping in the dark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, you said a, a while back in this, in, in this recording that um, you don't know how we all got so lost. Yeah. And or I how think, we could still be lost in 2017. Yeah. Well, I think it's, it's really not complicated. We, uh, we, we went from, uh, from being angry at God to being angry at each other. <sighs> and, uh, and, and so, Instead of being and being external with it, and and angry at ourselves. So when I say at each other, I mean at ourselves as well. Uh, and so, instead of going out with it externally, being angry at God, we're now going in with it. And that self that self attacking, self critical kind of uh, kind of approach uh, makes us critical of others. And in that self criticalness that we are. Uh, we criticize others to give ourselves relief or to, or to give ourselves a time out from, from that kind of criticism. Uh, so that's what happened that we've gotten. And, it's, and it, it was a slow, methodical process. I, I think it happened around 1975, 1980 is when I saw the shift in the culture begin to occur. And uh, it's just been getting worse ever since as far as, as us getting, as a culture, getting further and further away of a, of a connection to our own internal compass. Um, and, and if I could said that spiritually, it'd be getting further and further away from an ethic of what it means to be human. And instead of this right or wrong way to be human, which is where we were before. Again, that's why I think I'm coming forth with this information is, is that our compass is still available. Mm-hmm. Uh, our soul's intent is still functional. Human beings can still grow, can still evolve. But we have to kind of shake off and get out of this um, uh, this two-dimensional perspective that we're in, and remove the ego as compass because it's it's been put in place as a default guide on all of this, and it's never been the guide. It's a great adaptive function; mm-hmm. it, it does well at adapting and surviving. But beyond that, it's groping in the dark. So the ego can't really be the compass. 
And uh, but sadly, for a lot of us, it is. So when you said um, that that we have become um, angry at ourselves, so our anger has turned inward, wouldn't that equal depression? Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. When you look at what depression is, if you're if you're going to make a a pie called depression, it's it's made up of fear and anger. Mm. And so what we really have is uh, right now is a culture that's afraid of being afraid, and they're angry about that. Yeah, yeah. They're angry that they're afraid of being afraid. Yeah. And, uh, and they don't want to be anymore, of course. And there's a lot of external things that are driving that, and which is, again, why it's very important to understand that the only universe you have any control over is the one that's going on inside of you. I mean, that's the one that should ground you and give you some level of comfort. Um, the outside world is always going to be chaotic and it's always going to be confusing. And it's also going to be inconsistent and not always congruent with what we think and feel. Mm -hmm. So it's important that we have some kind of inner connection to what we would call intuition or gut feeling or, uh, or what is true and what is ethical. We've gotten kind of off of that, uh, you know, quite a bit. And, and again, part of the reason why is, is, the, is the way we define some of these terms that we, that we use to describe the human experience. Uh, some of the terms are confusing and they shouldn't be. Trying to find some congruence in the language that we use, finding a context that that language fits inside of, um, and and then presenting that to people, which is what I've been doing for my whole career. I already know that it works one person at a time. What I'm doing now with the podcast and with writing books is I'm I'm trying to re to reach uh, larger audiences with this information because it's that it's that profound and that useful. And what I want to ask people. You know, or encourage people to do is to ask themselves, and I said this in one of the videos I did on YouTube, that uh, uh, do you have any wisdom? And if you do, uh, where did it come from? Uh, it's, it, you, you'll find out that it did not come from birthday cakes and bubbles, I say, you know, in the recording. Uh, it typically comes from pain. It comes from adversity. And so imagine that these teachings are coming from thousands of people that have undergone severe trauma that are giving us insights about what it means to suffer and, and really showing us how to do it in a way that's ethical and transforming. And that's the, that's the significance of it. Um, that, that it isn't just, if you think your wisdom is, is profound and it came from your own individual adversities, imagine that these insights are coming from thousands, you know, thousands of other people like yourself that are even, uh, collapsing more and more veils of truth, more and more ideas and perceptions uh, about this experience that we call the human condition that is quite profound and worth knowing. And that's exciting to me uh, to, to, to share with people. It's important to me and to Irma that we create a dialogue, mm -hmm. that we create questions, uh, because I tell people uh, that Life is not about finding answers. It's about coming up with better questions. And, uh, and that's what this work does. It really kind of evokes that and encourages that. Thank you for being a part of The Soul's Intent with author, psychologist, and spiritual teacher, Ernie Vecchio. This is the show that can open your mind to things you never thought possible. 
While problems manifest psychospiritually, on a most essential level, there exists an energy component that provides the instructions for these fields to enter awareness. And the soul's intent is here to help you learn what these instructions are. Join us each week to learn how there is a physical place of love, truth, and freedom, and how in an instant learn that moving to such a place is actually a choice.